me, Miss Tallinn, or Miss T, however you want to say it. Today, I have a guest, Miss Bree Yaki, who is a fantastic educator and a good friend of mine. She has lived in a couple states. She's taught in a couple states. She's taught in various forms um, and in various age levels. And every time I have a conversation with her, I always feel like I learned something new. So I hope you enjoy this recording also because it was a fun conversation. And I hope you learned something from it too. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. So the podcast name is The Learning Curve. And so it's just to have a conversation about education in general, where we've been, where we're going, things that you bring to the table. And I feel like you bring a lot to the table. Like, I feel like I learned something every time I talk to you and we're just hanging out and shooting the breeze. And then you're like giving me all these nuggets of information. So I thought you would be a perfect guest for this. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm honored. It's my first podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, so tell me a little bit or tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, how you got into education, how it relates to you now, all that stuff. Oh, goodness. Let's see. I've been uh, officially as a licensed teacher, been 13 years in education. Um, so kind of my running joke is I've done everything, um, except administration at this point. Um, I originally went into middle school, um, that where I student taught was inner city and there, they needed an ELL teacher, um, English language learners, because everybody loves different acronyms. So many acronyms. (laughs) Yes. And in the Midwest where I'm from, that looks a little different English language learners than it does out here in California. Out here in California, it's a necessity to be uh, bilingual in Spanish because that's the majority of your learners. Whereas my classroom of 25 learners had 17 different languages. And we switched to the acronym English language learners because some of them, especially those who had gone through the refugee camps, English was their fifth language. Wow. So they had yeah. a, a little bit of terrible French from um, a lot of them uh, came from Africa and the refugee camps there. So they had terrible French and I had taken high school French. So my French was terrible. <laughs> so we just all muddled along together. Yeah, yeah. And the, the biggest thing that I loved was that they used the buddy system. There was somebody who already had at least one of their languages that had a little more English than they did. And we'd buddy them up for all their core classes. And the computer teacher was wonderful. She had language programs. So the the very first day was going around taking pictures of the different spots of the school, their different teachers, and then making them a photo book of sentences in their native language and then in English. So they'd have like, may I please go to the bathroom? May I please have a pencil? They could point to what they're trying to say while they're learning to say it and they had somebody buddied up with them going around everywhere so it felt a little less intimidating a little less scary yeah Um, and that was wonderful and uh the school used the positive behavior system um i think it's the pbs has now been uh changed to PBIS, and I'm not positive what the new I stands for, uh, but <laughs> we'll I have to look it, it up. <laughs> yes. And it was a middle school model where the grade level had two teachers for each subject. 
and each teacher was on a team and each team shared all the same same students. So the school colors were blue and orange. So there was sixth grade blue team and there was sixth grade orange team. And it was wonderful because the faculty came together. It's not, oh, this student is a problem. It's, hey, I've noticed that student uh, Harry Potter in history is really quiet and he doesn't want to participate. Is he the same way in your class? What is working for you? How can we bring him out of his shell, make him engaged? It was, we are all a team together supporting the student. Um, so that kind of, you know, fresh out of college, I think I know everything and I know absolutely nothing thrown in the deep end. And this wonderful model really showed me how middle school could and should be done correctly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that just that. the collaboration among all of the adults involved, in addition to knowing how to pair up the kids so that they can help each other and put them in a position of empowering the kids that are a little bit more used to it. And then mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that was not in California, right? No, that was in Iowa. So yeah, pretty, pretty big cultural shock when I moved out here. Yeah. Uh, when I first moved out here, it took longer for me to transfer an out-of-state teaching license than it took a friend of mine to transfer an out-of-state medical license. Wow. So that, <laughs> okay. that, that, was, that was really interesting. Um, and then everyone's like, when are you going to clear your credential? I'm like, okay, who am I doing the portfolio with? Who's my mentor? And they're like, portfolio, what portfolio? And I'm like, okay, this is, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, that was um, a whole different a whole different ball game out here, I guess. The, the program at the time was BITSA, and I was blessed that I had a mutual teacher, uh, Margaret, uh, who was mentoring me. But I, I went to her and I'm like, why are we spending a week on Maslow's hierarchy and Bloom tax, Bloom's taxonomy? She's like, is this important? And I'm like, I know it's important. I took it in all my undergrad classes why are we reviewing it now when people are acting like they've never heard of this before? She's like, oh, because in California, you don't have to have any training in education whatsoever to get a teaching license. And that blew my mind. Yeah, it was really interesting um, going through that, pro that process because I remember going through BITSA with Margaret also, and mm -hmm. I remember it feeling really, really redundant because mm -hmm. I had just finished like my master's program, I think. So I was just immersed in education and I was already in my fifth year of teaching and all that stuff. And they're like, and this is how kids work. And I'm like, I, I know. <laughs> so, but now like I'm mentoring a teacher going through the similar process now. And it's called something different. It's called tips now. And mm -hmm. um, my teacher is great like she's also in her fifth year of teaching so it's all very natural to her and she's just kind of going through it but I'm seeing some of the um, newer teachers that we're getting sometimes and I think that refreshing their understanding and foundational mm -hmm. knowledge is kind of important now so I've kind of changed my tune on the whole thing especially given the landscape of education nowadays because it, it's it just, hard it, it was shocking to me that what I considered to be very baseline information was a revelation to other people I was going through this program with. You you don't put a plumber on the job with no training. You don't put an EMT in the field with no training. You especially don't make either of those professions buy all their own equipment. Um, so I guess 
it really was shocking to me that in California, you are thrown into the classroom with a preliminary teaching license, with no behavior management, no English language learner training, no special ed training. Um, maybe you do or don't have a familiarity with curriculum and you're going to be spending anywhere from one to $5,000 buying all your own equipment, even down to a lot of cases, like what we worked with a lot with uh, lower socioeconomics, you're buying pencils. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pencils and food. Like you have to get them like granola bars in class and stuff like that too. You know, it's interesting. Um, I suppose I didn't realize how much of a like a great teaching program I had, because I've been in California Mm -hmm. my whole life, but my teaching Mm -hmm. program was immersive from the beginning. And that's what it was like at my university. So my freshman year of college, I mean, I'm 17 years old, fresh in college, and I'm observing classes like once a week and writing Mm -hmm. things up, making up lesson plans, scripting it all, whatever. So I've been doing that since I was 17. But at the end of it, at 21, I graduated with like my student teaching experience, all of these observations, volunteer hours, and then, um, and my credential, I had my mm-hmm. teaching credential. And then I was able, and I felt very confident going into my first class. And I don't have the same first year teacher story that so many other people do where they're like, oh, I was shell-shocked. I wasn't, I feel like it was such a good program, but then I'm realizing that not all programs are like that. And also Mm -hmm. not all people that go into teaching know that they want to go into teaching from the Mm -hmm. first year of college, right? So they might've gone through a more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a less straight route. It's not as linear. It was very- Their gen eds weren't catered to education. They were just gen eds. Yeah, just regular stuff. And I was cohorted with the same 50 kids the whole time too. And then once in a while, we hopped into different classes depending on like what our minor was gonna be in and things like that. So it was funny because I was in elementary education. There were like two boys in the program and 48 girls. And so I was like, oh my gosh, we need some testosterone to even this out. <laughs> because I, <that's> a lot. <laughs> um, what I would do in college is I would find a professor that I'd like, I would go to him or her and I'd say, what are you teaching next semester? And I didn't even care what the class was as long as it met one of my general education classes. If I knew I had a professor that I liked who actually cared about teaching, I'm going to be in their class, which is how in sophomore year, I ended up in the history of engineering. Oh. I, I was very confused. I, I, I well, <laughs> I walk into a classroom and there are about 300 boys, and I'm one of five girls. And I'm like, oh, this is not one of my classes. I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> Step back outside, check. Nope, I'm in the right building. I'm in the right uh, time slot. This is the right classroom. Then I finally look at the title because I just I had this amazing professor, Amy Bix, and I had had her for women's studies the semester before. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you are amazing. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, I'm following you. I love you. You're great. Yeah. And, I, and it, I ended up in the history of engineering. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband was, you know, looking at my textbooks and he's like, why, what, what do you need to know about the Baroque time period and how their architecture <laughs> mattered? Why, why are you looking into this? I mean, what is, and I'm like, 
guess what class I'm in? And he's like, you couldn't have told me that when we're signing up for classes. This is one we could have taken together. Yeah. Uh, Quality so time. Up, yeah. He, he stole my textbooks and ended up taking it next semester. Yeah. There you go. You know, you could have taken really good notes and just passed them on to him. And exactly. then it was just like made in the shade for him. That's awesome. That's, so now. Yeah. Sorry. Now it's, it's the same strategy. I tell my students, uh, you've been in a homeschool teacher, you know, that a lot of them use uh, vendors and a lot of the vendors are virtual and it's not necessarily consistent across educational platforms that everyone who's teaching loves it, is engaged in it, and is going to provide the highest quality of education they're capable of. So I tell them the same thing that I used for my college strategy. Did you find a teacher that you love? What platform and what classes are they teaching next semester? And how can we work that into your grad plan? Right. Yeah. Just sit there and sift through all of that stuff so that you can like formulate what works best for you as a student and things like that. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Big, big difference. So you're a homeschool facilitator. Mm -hmm. um currently do they call it facilitator at your school we we're, we're old school we still say teacher teacher but, okay uh rose by any other name yeah sure sure yeah. and you've been um, in this for a, a while now I want to say what six or seven years let's see my about to be nine-year-old was a year so yeah seven years I've been homeschool seven, independent yeah. study mm -hmm. um for two different charter schools uh, uh though my current charter Technically three, because it we evolved out of a different yeah, charter yeah. school. <laughs> yeah. Um, so technically three different charter schools, uh, seven years. Um, it's and it's wonderful because I uh can get I, I don't think I when I was classroom, I loved switching grades or like with ELL, every day is a little bit different because we're all coming in on a different level. Yeah. Uh and that's what's great about homeschool and independent study is some days I'm working with a mom who's desperately trying to get her kindergartner to read. And then the next day I'm working with a high schooler that doesn't understand why algebra is a graduation requirement, but learning um, home economic skills or balancing a budget or consumer math is not a graduation requirement. Those are so, good questions. Those are, <laughs> those, those are. Those are good and and I, I'm like, please take consumer math, please yeah. know how to balance a budget and, you know, and life skills and money skills, all these important things. So because we're speaking to each other, we, we speak the same language and we know what homeschooling mm -hmm. means, but can you explain what it means to be a homeschool teacher? Because I think a lot of people assume oh, yes. that when somebody decides to homeschool, they're taking on their education themselves. The parents are taking the education into their hands, which is true to some extent, but there's more to it. So can you please elaborate? And all of my family back in the Midwest, when I switched into homeschool teaching, were like, what is wrong with you? Are you wearing a tin hat? <laughs> Did you become an extreme religious zealot? And like, no, 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 that's not what we do. <laughs> um, if a parent for whatever reason, knows that the traditional public school is not the right fit for their child. They have options. And in California, they can still do an accredited program that holds them to the same or higher educational standards as traditional schooling does. And then they don't have to pay out of pocket for every single piece of curriculum or manipulatives that they need. 
one of my students uh, is in the acting field and he is very successful in the acting field uh, where he's been on, he has several credits on Netflix. He's very successful. But in order to be very successful, he can get a call and only have 30 minutes to record an audio audition or only have three hours notice to get to an audition in Los Angeles. Right. Think of this child in a traditional classroom. Part of educational funding in California comes from attendance. Yeah, butts and seats. He would never be caught up and he would be hurting the school because at best he'd get a couple partial days a week. Yeah. Um, If he did independent study through the regular public school, here's your worksheet packet. No instruction whatsoever going with it. If you don't understand it, may the force be with you. Right. Whereas for us, uh, we talked about how he wants to learn and what he's going to consistently have access to. We got him a hybrid program of both um, physical materials like textbooks and supporting workbooks, mm-hmm. but we also got him, um, online curriculum. So wherever he goes, he either has access to internet or he has the physical book with him. So he can do whatever he needs to do to keep on track as he's going down to Los Angeles or in between shooting di- movies. Right. I also have, uh, there's this belief that, Oh, you're taking all the good kids from our schools. It feels very South Park. You took our germs. (laughs) And that's not what it is at all. I, the majority of my students, though I do have some truly extraordinary individuals. For example, I have an eighth grader that has four of her college classes done. And over the summer is starting, uh, or I'm sorry, she has four of her high school classes done. And she is starting her community college classes over the summer for free with concurrent enrollment. Right. This child would be bored out of her mind because she's too accelerated even for an AP class. Yeah. That's a behavior problem waiting to happen. And that for the teacher, if you're teaching an eighth grader who is on high school and college level math, it's kind of hard to scaffold that in. I also have students that are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I have students that are the extreme unmedicated ADHD. Mm-hmm. these are the wonderful shining stars where I'm like this is your place we are your people but in right. a classroom setting among 34 other peers they would either be triggering others or be triggered the majority of the day and they wouldn't necessarily maybe the body would be in the seats maybe but keeping them actively engaged on their level while still adapting for their educational needs that are physiological it's difficult. Absolutely. And in California, um, we have charters where you get stipend money. And like mm-hmm. you said, it alleviates a lot of the costs that comes along with educating a child. So mm-hmm. that helps. I don't know what all of the state's uh, requirements are for homeschooling. I just am familiar with California. But um, along with that, if they're attached to a public charter and they're, they have an IEP, they're on a spectrum or they have Mm -hmm. ADHD and they need services. They get those services as if they were in a public school. And I think that, I think that that's like a beautiful middle ground for some people, you know, to just serve their kids a little bit better that way too. And when an educator gets to work one-on-one with a child or five-on-one, or when they're 
um, in the the cases of some of the online classes, there's just 15 kids. Yeah. You could you have the time to customize for them. So the 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 joy for these parents are they're coming to an accredited surface and we're helping alleviate the cost of education. And I also a lot of my job is I'm a concierge. How do you want to teach? How do they want to learn? Right. These are different curriculum options that we have. It's let's try analogy. some out. Oh mm-hmm. yes, yes. Let's let's try it out. Let's see what fits what what best meets your needs and your child's needs. Um, what the state and what the community gets out of it is every single t- uh, learning period of twenty school days, they have to have a meeting with me where the child is present. I'm checking that the child is safe, that the child is fed, that the child is not being abused, right. that the child is actually making academic progress on their real level. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the fear behind homeschooling or some of the stereotypes people have is these children are on their own and they're isolated. How do you socialize them or how right. do you prevent abuse? Mm-hmm. You prevent abuse because there's someone who's trained, licensed, coming and checking on them right uh much more frequently than even a doctor would see them and as far as socialization goes it's really funny because in the public schools you're not here to socialize you're here to learn homeschooling the first question 90 percent of the time we get is but how do the kids socialize right and if you think about it they're getting one-on-one curriculum instruction you don't actually need an entire hour to do english that's a huge like mindset mindset shift that a lot of these parents have to make because they're thinking my kids in school for seven or eight hours they're gonna have to sit here and fill out paperwork for seven or eight hours and, and you're like no 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 yeah. you have to realize that there's so much more to this than just worksheets and sitting in your seat and things like that right that's a huge shift and if you think about it in the classroom okay, it's our hour to do reading. First, we're going to have a whole group instruction for 15 minutes where maybe a quarter of you are actually paying attention, understanding what's going on. Then I'm going to break you up into groups. And in one group, we're going to work together in a small group on your real level. Because in my normal class of 35 kids, yeah, there's about seven different learning levels just for reading. And that's just kind of generically grouping them in uh, to the seven levels. Honestly, everybody is really on their own level and it changes constantly. Right. Um, So the, while I'm working with the five kids that may be on grade level, all the other kids have something to do, but it can't just be academic. It has to be engaging. If they're not intrinsically motivated to pay attention, they're not happy about what's at their center. You're not going to get a teacher small group. You're going to get up and manage all the behavior. Right. So if you think about it in that hour that we're instructing for reading, the kid maybe got 20 minutes of actual instruction on their real level. Mm -hmm. So in homeschooling, it's not unusual for everybody to be done by noon. Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know, we homeschool our kids Mm -hmm. and, um, it, it's very little paperwork that Mm -hmm. I have that I have them do it every day. But um, I really try to drive home the fact that their learning is all around them. And this is an all-encompassing thing. The world around you is where you're learning. Going to the grocery store, we're doing math. And -hmm. we're using our senses and we're doing things. You know, we go to the farmer's market and we learn about all the different community members that are there. We talk to them. We have conversations. Everything's a learning opportunity. Kids are little, Mm -hmm. right? So even... 
when you're teaching them language, um, Teddy and I, even before I, I, during COVID, I did homeschool that child, six reading <laughs> programs later, we're fine. Yeah, great. Um, but <laughs> one of the things we did, like you said, taking them to the grocery store, we'd get the free ads on Wednesday that came to the house and he'd practice his fine motor skills by cutting out different things that he wanted to eat that week. And it's about making good choices that we, we have a conversation while he's cutting things out about balanced meals. Then um, we talk about the sounds as he's gluing them onto his list, a construction paper, steak. What sounds are we making? So he'd put the S next to it. Um, and then we'd look at the prices and, you know, I just look at the dollar amount, ignore the pennies, anything past the decimal point. We're not worried about that in kindergarten. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't so we'd look at that. the dollar amount and he'd practice. He was, he'd get his handwriting. He'd write the dollar amount. And then I put it on a clipboard with a crayon on a string tied to it. And as we'd go through the grocery store, he'd check off the items and he'd check that steak was supposed to be $5 a pound, but we get here and it's not. So then we have a conversation about coupons and about different stores and homeschooling is 24 seven immersive. As a mom who homeschools your child, you never get a break. You never get to turn your brain off. Right. Because they never stop turning their brains off. Right. And I just, I tell people like, if they decide to do it, it is an all encompassing process. If you do it right, it is not taking your foot off the gas. It is, it is a completely different mindset. And if you're doing it right, it's a lot of work, but just like you were using with your example, with the ads, that's awesome. You had him physically engaged and then brought it into real life and he's doing math those are the types of things that I would love to communicate with the masses like this is something that you can do with things that are just around your house and the things that you're doing anyway the penny savers come to me for free Mm -hmm. and we the construction paper is inexpensive Right. And as long as I wasn't fussy about which implement he was writing with, some days we were going to use markers and nothing was, you know, nothing's <laughs> right. going to steer us away from it. the markers. Yeah. The markers going to be mashed and destroyed at the end. But hey, we're using the pincher grip to use our markers. Whatever. Yeah, a win is a win. <laughs> yeah, but if you think about that, that on, you know, that they came in on Wednesday and we had a lesson talking about it. I apologize, alarm's going off. Um, we had a lesson, you know, while he's cutting, just a, a good conversation at the table. He was doing language arts, you know, his, his phonics awareness when he sounded out the letters and tried to write them. He's working on handwriting skills, mm-hmm. writing down the dollar amount, doing some basic adding. He's doing math. Yeah. It And that was Wednesday. And then it was Thursday in the afternoon because in the mornings when kids are most calm and engaged, we'd get all the, like you said, that it's very little paperwork, but it is a lot of work work. Um, but in the Thursday afternoons, you know, we'd go out to the store and he'd be physically there and thank goodness. Um, we have some really nice, uh, people at the register that were willing to let him pay in cash and figure out what the change would be and everything like that. Like you said, going into the community members, people, people love that you care and you're teaching your child and are usually really supportive once they understand that, we are not a bunch of tin hat wearing coots who are hiding no. out in the hills. Yeah. We, we're, we're here. We're your community members. We're going to be, you know, helping you along and we're all in this together. And we're just trying to do what's best for our kids. Like I know Ben is one of those examples of kids who would probably be bored in a traditional classroom. And I don't know 
you know, how that's going to work out. He's only in first grade right now. So we're just, I'm just making sure he's having fun learning and that's it. And when the rest kind of naturally comes, you know, when schools make out those big educational goals, I, every single school I've worked for has some variation on lifelong learners. Yeah. And while that's a wonderful goal, how did the traditional education system in California actually engage someone where they love to learn and they're seeking out information in a constructive way that's helping them with life? Right. And it's so hard to reconcile that because you're looking at the standards that we have to teach by. And I heard somewhere, I have not fact checked this, but that they looked at where they want a senior to graduate. What should they know when they graduate high school? And then they backwards plan down to kindergarten. And that's basically how your standards are set, which sure, offhand sounds logical. But in practice, you're like, wait a second, this is not developmentally appropriate Mm -mm. for my five-year-old, my six-year-old, my seven-year-old, my 10-year-old, you know, like this is a lot. And so like, if my five-year-old is advanced, I want them to be moving at their pace and challenged, but not to the point where you just give them extra busy work because you're just trying to keep them busy. And I remember being a classroom teacher that that was one of the hardest things to do was to accommodate the, the higher achievers in my class. I would use them sometimes to help other kids in the class, but that only goes so far, you know? And I just felt like I was doing them a disservice. So I kept trying to adjust my teaching and I thought I was a pretty good teacher, but even then, like I had a hard time, like working with that. And then you have your kids who need just a lot of extra help. And Mm -hmm. so, and you have to realize some of it is developmental and your kid is not failing. This is just unrealistic standards that you're holding your kids to. Well, and some kids read when they're four because they're intrinsically motivated and want to do it. Some kids like my own six reading programs later, it clicked between second and third grade. It clicked. He got it. And as soon as he got it, all that foundation I'd been shoving in his head for years all made sense right right but and that happens so much too yeah, where ages like and stages are exactly that grade level standards only talk about the chronological age they don't talk about the intellectual age or the socio-emotional age of the child and like that doesn't even take into account maslow's hierarchy Absolutely, oh, which is sorry. huge. But explain what that is. What and thank <laughs> yeah. you for catching it because I know we're talking to people that might be outside of education or parents that really want to do more for their kids, but they don't really know how, or educators mm-hmm. that just want to know more. So Maslow's hierarchy. Explain that. At the it, think of a pyramid. At the top of the period pyramid is self-actualization. Ooh, ah, I'm actually metacognitive and not meta in the way that Facebook is, but actually metacognitive. I can think about thinking. I can think about learning. I can plan my day. I am awesome. I'm the best intellectual version of myself. Now go to the bottom of the period. Human needs. We need food, preferably healthy, balanced food, not full of processed stuff and sugar or dyes or any of that. And I'm not saying it has to be organic, but I mean, was there a vegetable serve? Yeah, in Yay. moderation. Yes, you know. yes. Yeah. Uh, we need water. We need sleep. We need safety. 
We need shelter. We need clothes that fit appropriately and are appropriate for the weather. You and I have worked at low-income schools. Yeah. Think about the average child coming in for multi-generational poverty. And again, urban poverty has a different attitude than rural poverty. This child may not have been fed before they came. And if mom, if mom, dad, grandma, whomever the caregiver is, sign them up for the free breakfast program, great. But if whoever got them to the school got them there late, the free breakfast is closed and that child has missed out on food. Does that child truly care about multiplication? Or is that child focused on the fact that their stomach hurts and they're hungry? I, I can't focus if I haven't eaten or have the proper nutrition. I can't imagine what a developing child is feeling if they're not getting those needs. And who cares about their schoolwork at that point? Yes. You know? And the hangry child. So that's why I loved the the whole teacher model that I talked about earlier, where all of us are on the same team with the same students. Mm-hmm. So-and-so is always angry in my class. So-and-so, or Harry Potter is always angry in potions. Oh, Harry Potter's a delight in transfiguration. Okay, so where'd the switch happen? After lunch, Harry Potter got fed. Um, so if those, but those, back to Maslow's hierarchy, sorry, tangent, circling back. No, it's all, it's all related. Bottom of the pyramid. If the basic physiological, but also emotional needs are not met, that child is not prepared to engage and learn. And that child may not be self-actualized, may not be able to advocate for themselves, or may have pressure not to admit that they didn't have food. So it's on the teacher to know that or to figure out it is when a child's acting out with behavior and disrupting the entire class, you can't just kick them out. You have to figure out what is going on and why. And Maslow's hierarchy, if a physical, mental, emotional need is not met at the bottom of the pyramid, we cannot move up that pyramid to self-actualization and where we're engaged and ready and interested in learning. So I, I, a lot of it comes down to, if I, I remember hearing in college, if you are an engaging teacher, your students will be engaged. But they didn't necessarily talk about, well, how, what do you do when that doesn't work? I prepare, I spent hours preparing the best lesson ever. It is multi-sensory. Mm-hmm. It is, it has seven different <laughs> levels built in. Everybody has a different station. I spent hours organizing all these boxes and everything's ready to go. And the class implodes because your most charismatic individual came in in a bad mood and set everybody off. What do you do? What do you do? You throw your lesson plan out the window. Right. You have to. (laughs) Yes. And at least even if it's just for a few minutes, like, you know, let's just kick back, have a snack, everybody come back and then we can um, re-engage and give it another shot. Right. And it goes back to... Again, our our first year teaching, we're fresh out of college. We may have a lot of debt. Do we necessarily have the extra thousand to put into having snacks that are safe and appropriate and allergen friendly 
in the classroom for when things go wrong. Right. I know we have a, uh, we call them facilitators at our school. We have one that mm-hmm. we, I was talking to and she was talking about what kind of food stays in your belly longer and is healthier and has the nutrients that it needs to hold the kids over. Mm-hmm. I want to say she was talking about specific brands of granola bars and stuff like that, that she would just mm-hmm. keep stashed in her room. She's like, because if I just gave them a pack of goldfish or something like that, that's not going to yeah. hold them over for very long. Yeah. Their body's going to burn through it really quickly and it's going to make them feel hungry quicker. But uh, here are these other things that we can use. And then she starts there and then goes on with the, the lessons and things. The made good brand. It's uh, has a lot of the big buzzwords of allergens that it doesn't have. It's made in a nut free facility. Mm-hmm. It's has gluten-free options. And, but you are for the brands that are more sustainable, we have to have more money initially to buy them. That's the thing. I remember when I got hired at um, the charter school I'm at right now, mm-hmm. um, my, my first year, the the first month, like I didn't get my first paycheck until well into September or something like that. And I had been laid off because this was after 2000, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and so there was a summer where I wasn't getting paid. I literally had $5 in my bank account. And that's just where I was at that time, going into a public school for the first time, teaching kids. And I'm like, I hope I have enough stuff to put up on the walls for you guys or paper or whatever, Mm -hmm. because it was, it was a lot, you know? And if you think about our career, EMTs, yes, they have their scrubs that they pay for. Yes, they have some uh, personal equipment that they pay for. But the majority of the equipment that they used is provided for them. Right. Um, the same thing for plumbers. You're part of what you pay for with the plumbers. You're paying for the materials. The plumber is not providing all the pieces for you. Education is really unique, especially in California compared to other states or compared to international models that our career, circling back to our original topic, But why were you given a preliminary teaching license with no interest or previous training in teaching whatsoever? Why are you in the classroom as a backup plan with no behavior management training whatsoever? Um, Why is my career that I hold in high, high esteem considered to be lesser by other people? Oh, you get the summers off really show me a single teacher that actually takes the summer off and isn't buying materials, planning lessons, tutoring the kids that didn't necessarily get things done last year. Not to mention California just made a change. I don't know if you've heard where we need to offer 30 more days in a school year to any kid. Uh Yeah. To any kid that qualifies for free or reduced lunch. Now they don't have to come for that, but but it needs to be offered. Okay. So tell me about your summers again. I just want to know. Yeah. Like the, yeah. What? 
you and, know, and I understand the thought process behind it, but I'm also mm-hmm. very frustrated at everybody thinking that schools are the band-aid solution to every problem that we deal with as a society. Or that we as the public school teacher is the automatic bad guy in fault for every problem going on. For every in shortcoming. Yes. Yes. So um, I we're, I can't we're doing the best but we be can. frustrated yeah. yes. for our system. Like I I am just trying to find a way to make it better because I'm like, how how can we make it better? What can we do to improve the lives of the people in our community? And we're doing so much. Mm-hmm. And already as a school, but there's a much more fundamental and foundational issue at hand that I feel Where, like keeps getting swept under the rug or being pushed on to schools and teachers mm-hmm. to handle. And um, it's very frustrating to watch, you know? Yes. Yeah. And that part of that is that frustration is part of what leads families to homeschool. Yeah. The tradition in the traditional school setting, like you said, talented and gifted is a form of special education that is the most commonly overlooked, ignored, and unserviced. We're so worried about the child, as we should be. We should be worried about the child that is not on grade level, whether that grade level is developmentally appropriate or not, that we can forget or not prioritize the needs of the talented and the gifted. If you know your eighth grader who needs to take uh, trigonometry and the middle school doesn't offer beyond algebra one because it's a middle school, yeah, what do you do? Do you, do you have the $400 out of pocket to have them take an additional class in your own time? Um, like uh, with one of the UCs, do you have the... a month to have them be tutored with a program like Sylvan. All of this assumes that the parent is independently capable of providing the extra for their child because their child is non-traditional. Right. And the joy of homeschooling is the same money that's given to the public schools because it's a free public school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our school doesn't have to pay for janitors. Our school doesn't have to pay utility bills. Our school doesn't have to pay rent because we don't have a physical building. That's the difference between your guys' homeschool and ours. Ours does have a physical building, which is a little bit different. Yes. And and so there is a difference between site-based homeschool charters and non-site based homeschool charters. Yeah, in uh, uh, California. And the laws uh, reflect that sometimes. Yes. Um, and even then you guys are, it's not your own space necessarily. It's a shared space with right. your with other our on-site kids. Right. Yes. And that, that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish. But if, if you are like some of the moms I work with were engineers mm-hmm. and they stopped being a full-time engineer in order to be a full-time caregiver, teacher, Every single hat possible homeschooling mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen a a funny meme generated by one of my homeschooling moms that if a homeschooling mom is talking to herself, it's she's in a parent teacher conference. Um, But highly educated people, you need, they're giving up their full-time jobs in the workforce in order to meet the needs of their students. And when you do that, you may not necessarily have the five 
$5,000 needed to buy all the educational materials and curriculum that's probably going to change every single year, which is why the homeschooling charters, hey, come see us. Yeah, well, you know, I, I know I've had many conversations with different parents who have not embarked on a homeschooling journey and they have a lot of qualms about it. One of them is they can't quit their job yeah. to homeschool their kids. And, um, and I know that that is something that has not, it doesn't have to happen, but it's something that you got to work with. Sometimes you need someone or a combination of people in your village where that child has full-time care and full-time quality education. Co-ops and things like that. There's a wonderful co-op locally where five teachers retired from one of the school districts because they didn't like the politics and set up as a vendor. Mm -hmm. And I, it, you can pay through use educational funds provided by your homeschool to take your child to them, these five teachers and get in a class of 15 kids with a experienced qualified educator. You can drop off at 9 a.m., pick them up at 3 p.m. Yeah. And there are options like that, at least in the state. I don't know. Again, I don't know what it's like in other states, but every state is completely different. There is no national regulation whatsoever. Right. And I know that that's a thing. And the other thing I hear a lot when I tell people I homeschool my kids, they justify it in their mind. They're like, oh, but you're a teacher. So you'll know how to do it. And I'm like, well, I do. Uh, I know how to do it. But it's not the only reason. Oh my gosh. So I am a teacher. I'm fully educated. I'm fully licensed. Yeah. But my classroom experience was middle school and high school. Then COVID hits. Yeah. And I have this wonderful kindergartner that I never get a break from. It's not someone else's children that I'm getting back to them at (laughs) the end of the day. Right, right. It's this one person full time who doesn't, he doesn't fully understand that mama also has to work or I'm sorry, we, I need you to work independently for me for 30 minutes, which when you're five is a lifetime. That's Absolutely. How, how oh, dare you be that so wonderful. long? <laughs> yes. Um, so mom can do a zoom meeting. And I think uh, in post COVID people get it a little bit more. Yeah what it was like having your own child 24 seven. It's completely different. Yeah. And it's a whole different ball game. And my house felt too small. I can't imagine what it was like for people in apartments trying yeah. to do that. Setting up just tiny little sections of their kitchen or something like that. Yeah. That's a lot. I know it, it was a lot. And I know that when COVID hit and everybody had to stay home, the homeschooling families felt very little of it because they were like, well, we're already doing these they, things. They got Except angry because their socialization was their taken socialization away. Their socialization got taken yeah. away, right. Um, but as far as the learning aspect of it, they didn't have to hop on the Zoom every day and yes. do all these things. They they were kind of more used to that whole um, learning method. And so I just think that that's so interesting. Uh, just, uh, what a trip. It's- what a yes. trip that was. I, I, I was kind of <laughs> hoping that everybody would take this mentality of bless the teachers. Thank you for the teachers. And they did for about it. a month. 
Yeah, for, that's exactly <laughs> it. And it was a, well, you have my kid back. Why haven't they gone up three grade levels? Right. And just the, um, the after effects that we're seeing in the schools now from mm-hmm. that, it's a whole different ball game. The kids' uh, social emotional needs are totally different. Their behaviors are different. Their academic skills different. It's just, they need way more help. The families need help adjusting. Like it's, there's this uncomfortable period. And I was really hoping, really, really hoping that people, now that they got a little peek behind the curtain of what we rely on schools for and how much they do provide for our Mm -hmm. um, society in general, I, I was really hoping they would take that lesson and incorporate new strategies or something to mm-hmm. help make it a more desirable career choice for people. Cause nobody wants to be a teacher anymore. It looks like, mm-hmm. right. And, uh, I hope that changes. That's always a pendulum. There are times that that's like that. And sometimes that's not. So I hope it swings back in the other direction. Um, the funding, the, just the help, the, the hands on deck that we need for situations like that. I, I'm so disappointed as to how that all played out so far, you know? And sometimes a lot, a lot of the time in education, I feel like one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. I love the national idea of universal free pre head start preschool. Right. um, The problem is there's, they, they have this beautiful idea it's a great vision, but they don't have somebody going through what are the steps needed to scaffold up to get there. Step one, you want a lot of preschool teachers, forgive student loan debts or incentivize getting the teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Find existing programs that are doing a wonderful thing, give them some government funding. And if somebody can get a career for free, they might be more that where they go in with actual training, they right. might be more excited to go there. Right. Facilities. You gotta have space for the little bodies to be able to move in, especially when the weather is not perfect. So right. you need, you need people, you need a whole workforce of people trained and this takes years to do. You need buildings, more buildings that are to code and safe and spaces either connected or near to the schools because mamas don't necessarily have time to drop five kids off at five different schools. Mm-hmm. You need curriculum. You need all the materials to actually enact the curriculum. Right. You know, I personally have an issue with Singapore math because if you don't have the foundation in kindergarten with all the hands-on manipulatives, to make this common core way of thinking concrete or hands-on, the abstract is not going to make sense. No, I remember trying to teach Singapore math. This was the first time I was ever introduced to it, to a fourth grade class. And we had only the student workbooks. We did not have a teacher guide. We had no manipulatives. The, so the I'm manipulative just... pack for Singapore math just is like $300. And you need at least for a small group, you need at least five of each of the manipulatives. Right. And just at to the have time, a small group. 
Right. And at the time, our school was brand new. And so funds were very limited. And so they were, they had good ideas, you know, but, but they really, didn't scaffold really up hard. for getting there. Yes. And it, I remember it's... sitting in trainings going like, what in the world is a bar model? Like, I have no idea. And I drew a little stick figure holding a martini because I was like, this is a bar model. And then that's it. And then, you know, yep. That's all oh, homophones. Oh, yes. <laughs> or homonyms you know, in that case. Might as yep. well laugh at it. But yes. yeah. And so I, you know, I, truthfully have no personal experience in knowing how well or not well that particular curriculum works just because of my experience with it because I was like holy cow we're ill-prepared well it goes back to some things are taught differently from TK up um and it comes from learning um my my child, uh, when I did homeschool him on top of trying to do a full-time job, and yes, I am a teacher, but no, I did not have experience with kindergarten. And no, I didn't ever get it even other than the 10 minute walk outside each day, get a break from this child ever um, during that time period. What we did was we got a game-based math curriculum. I got a deck of playing cards and we played a variation on uh, on Go Fish called Go to the Dump. And I got this idea from Right Start Math, which by the mm -hmm. way, all their game instructions are on YouTube for free. Oh, you good. want unlimited free ga math games for your kids that you can play with an Uno deck? Right Start Math, awesome. their game channel on YouTube. Glorious. Good. It's a blessing. Good to know. It's, good it's to wonderful. Know. And the instruction book, so you know what to do in what order, is 20 bucks on their website. You want unlimited math curriculum affordable? That that's what I I I'm like. Okay, I know you're going to be waiting six weeks for your real curriculum to come in. So here is a book. Here is a Uno deck. Here is a deck of cards. Start playing games. Right. Um. So go go to the dump is a math game where we are making pairs of numbers that add up to ten. So one and nine, you made a pair. Two and eight, you made a pair. And we were doing game-based curriculum because uh, he was not going, this beautiful five-year-old who was not going to sit still and do worksheet after worksheet all day. Because he's five but and a human same, being. Yes. But at the same time, what do I have space for in my house that I can afford to do mm -hmm. with my kid? Right. Um, because even though I was a homeschool teacher, he was still, when COVID started, registered as a public school student right so it, it goes it goes back to that of education starts with high quality materials that we have an appropriate quantity in a safe properly sized space with people who are actually trained and supported because things are going to go wrong and you need to know how to fix it absolutely and, a support system is uh, crucial in my yeah opinion. so we need to incentivize people to get the training before they're in the classroom. Then we need to treat them well and support them while they're in the classroom, mentoring and, you know, it, it, it's, it, it costs you nothing to say please and thank you. Absolutely. Um, I, absolutely. Yeah. I, as a teacher, I thank you for a coffee mug, but would you mind spending 15 minutes a night reading to your own kid? Yeah. That's what I'd really love and appreciate. Yeah. And that's where you're going to see the return on your rewards for. Absolutely. Now, um, 
we are going to wrap up here pretty soon. Can you tell me of a memory that you have that is either delightful or funny or just brings you joy to think about from your teaching career thus far? I, when I first moved out to California, I went to a long-term sub at one of the high schools here that has a predominantly low socioeconomic base. Mm -hmm. And I had a quorum of football players in my class. So of course, the very first thing I do is take Starbucks to the football coach. Great move. (laughs) Yes. And we sit down together and I go, hi, I'm their English teacher. Seventh period, the majority of this semester, they're going to leave my class early to come put on their equipment and stretch out with you, which means they're not going to have their bottoms in the seats for the majority of my instruction. So this is what I'd like you to do. Everybody's getting a library card. Everybody is going to download the audiobook of the novel we're reading. And while they're stretching out with you, no one needs to know that they're listening to Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> for, for all, I Everybody get pantameter can be wrapped. So call it whatever you want. But... <laughs> And he and I just started laughing. And so the first thing you do is you you find your friends. And yes, all the sports coaches were my friends right away. And yes, I had to figure out a free way to customize the instructions. So all these wonderful young men who weren't going to be in English class still had access to the curriculum to pass the classes. Gorgeous. I love it so much. it's like, I'm just yeah, imagining we, them like stretching and training. Yes, and they, like, they all had their headphones in Romeo and, they, and had, they they got a free <laughs> audiobook download of uh, Romeo and Juliet. And, um, or I actually think that was later in the semester uh, when they were with the basketball coach. Sorry, the beginning of the year, I think we were doing the Great Gatsby. And yes, and they, they listened to the entire book. Did they physically read the book, go back and do it after Eight, eight hours of school and three hours of football probably not probably not but yeah. did all of them know the content engage in all the activities we did heck yes hey and maybe it was even better for some of them like if they were moving while they were listening they might have mm-hmm. in, you know internalized it a little bit more I don't know or the dyslexics that were able to fake it long enough that now they're in high school and nobody wants to diagnose them yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. well Bree, thank you so much for spending time with me this was wonderful Thank you, I, really, I always enjoy talking with you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much too.